Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast. The welcome back, welcome back, welcome back edition as the Bengals return from their bye weekend to host the first place Baltimore Ravens. In case you didn't recognize the tune, it was part of the theme song from the 1970s TV show, Welcome Back, Cotter. Good Lord, I'm old. Coming up, I'll be joined by my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, as we'll discuss the challenge Ryan Finley will face in his first NFL start, how Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson is changing the NFL, and Lapp will share some great stories about his friend and former teammate Jim LeClaire, who passed away this week at the age of 69. My locker room conversation is with wide receiver Alex Erickson. He'll share his impressions of his new starting quarterback, what A.J. Green's return will mean to the team whenever that happens, and I'll ask Alex if he should be the guy pretending to be Lamar Jackson at practice this week. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the Ravens from Baltimore reporter Luke Jones. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since The Office. I did not regularly watch The Office when it was on TV, but I've been catching up on flights and in hotel rooms on Netflix, and well, you already know this, but it's awesome. I just wish I had enough time to watch every episode, but with my current schedule, it's really hard. That's what she said. Now let's get to football. Time for this week's conversation with Dave Lapham. And we kept it a little bit shorter this week because, as you will hear, Lapp has been battling a pretty significant cold. One quick note. We recorded this on Wednesday before practice when all signs pointed to the return of A.J. Green. Then, he reportedly experienced swelling in his ankle after a morning walkthrough and did not participate in practice. So, as of now, A.J.'s status for Sunday's game is TBD. The Bengals could obviously use him as they look for their first win of the season after an 0-8 start, a scenario that Dave Lapham can identify with. As we've mentioned before, you were on a team back in 1978 that started 0-8. You beat Houston in Week 9, 28-13. That Houston team went 10-6 and and made it to the AFC Championship game that year. Do you remember how that win felt? I, I do remember that it almost felt like a playoff win. You know, I mean, it had that kind of a, that kind of a relief moment to it. You know, it's finally like all this work finally paid off. You know, you can liken it to uh, you're a salesperson, and you go two months without a sale. And you're a straight commission salesman, <laughs> and the cupboards are getting bare. You know, it's like you're not getting any you're not getting any any buzz for your work. There's no payback, and um, it, it, so it just it just felt like that. I, I remember how euphoric the locker room was. You know, it was a it was a huge huge relief. That was a good football team. That Houston Oilers football team was a, was a darn good football team. So, you know, we knew. Just like this team, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we played Houston a lot. They play Baltimore a lot. There's a lot of similarities there. So, I mean, if they could, if the Bengals could knock off the Baltimore Ravens after they knocked off the undefeated New England Patriots, you got to think there's going to be a little bit of Baltimore looking past the Cincinnati Bengals in this football game after what they did against New England. It's human nature. And um, if the Bengals can trap them, 
you know, load the trap and spring the trap on them, that would be that would be a, a big, big win, a division win because Dan, they're one and seven in the last eight division games. I mean, that's they got to start uh, competing a little bit better than that in the division. Lap, we don't know if Andy Dalton will play quarterback again for the Bengals. If the Dalton era is over after eight and a half years, how should it be remembered? You know, I think um, the fans are going to have some mixed memories of it because of the lack of a playoff win. Um, But, boy, to go to the playoffs five straight times, that's a franchise record. And, um, you know, to average like ten wins a season during that time frame is is, as long a period – of success as the franchise has ever enjoyed. So, I mean, Andy Dalton is, is responsible. A big should take a big uh, shoulder, a big part of that responsibility for that success. There's no question about it. Andy Dalton and A.J. Green, that era, uh, was was prolific, you know, in the regular season from by, um, by club standards in terms of record. But, again, unfortunately, you know, not having a playoff here, too, if they just could have come up with uh, – you know, with a playoff win somewhere along that, that five-year stretch, it would be remembered, I think, a lot differently than it will probably re- be remembered now. No question about it. It's been a trying first year for Zach Taylor, to say the least. Are there any really obvious lessons that you think he can take from this year? You know, I, I know today's NFL, and there's only so many things you can do by collective bargaining agreement and protecting players and all that sort of thing, but um, I, I just think that, you know, there were, I, I never saw a nine on seven. You know, I never saw anything really, really physical, you know, in training camp or practices. And I know once the season starts, you can't really do anything. In practice, you can only have, I think it's what, 17 padded practices for the season, maybe one a week if you're lucky. But I think in training camp, and I'm not saying beat them to death. I'm not saying, old oh, man, get off my lawn kind of stuff. You know, beat these guys up and, and go back to the, the old school way of doing it. But I, I think – I think maybe just a little bit more uh, physicality because it seems like in the beginning especially they were almost surprised by the tempo and speed of the game and the physicality of the game um, in the early stages of the season. Now you adjust to it as the season wears on, and it's hard to practice harder as the season wears on. But maybe in the earlier stages of it as you're getting ready for the regular season because, I mean, I experienced it. Preseason's one speed, regular season ratcheted up playoffs ratcheted up big time and there's no question I think everybody would agree with that so while you're in that infancy stage of you know the the tempo and the physicality of it in the the preseason I think maybe a little bit more physicality in in the practice to get them ready for the early stages of the regular season might be something to think about but um, in in today's football you know I I understand how everybody's going um, and I know even in the back in the day, Bill Walsh, when he had those great teams with the 49ers, 49er players told me they never wore shoulder pads once training camp broke. They never had a padded practice. And they went out there and kicked some tail. So, you know, you can, you can find cases. Uh, you can be Perry Mason and find precedent cases for just about anything you want to uh, make. But um, I do think that, you know, not tackling. I'm not saying tackle guys have one-on-one nutcracker drills. I'm not saying that kind of stuff, but I'm saying maybe just a little bit more thump. Lap, we've got our fingers crossed that A.J. Green will make his 2019 debut this week. A.J. missed seven of the last eight games last year and the first eight this year, so he's basically missed a full season. 
The Bengals are 1-15 in those games. Before he got hurt last year, they were 5-3. and three. Can he make that much of a difference when he returns this year? I think he can. I mean, I think he's the king domino. When A.J. Green's out in the football field, it reconfigures coverage, tilts coverage differently. Um, it's going to make life easier for Tyler Boyd. It's going to make life easier for everybody else. He's going to draw double teams. Um, there's going to be space for others to take advantage of. He's going to empty the box out. There'll be one less guy in the box for the offensive line to worry about, Joe Mixon to worry about. Running lanes will improve. The ripple effect of A.J. Green is huge, uh, both up and down ripple effect. It's, it's big, big. I want to bring up something that your former teammate Chris Collinsworth said on Sunday Night Football last week. He said, quote, This is one of those moments in time where we're going to think back in a few years and go, Remember the night that Lamar Jackson and the Ravens' style of offense took apart the Patriots? We're going to be able to point to quarterbacks in the National Football League that got a chance because of this night. That was the end of the Collinsworth quote. Is Lamar Jackson opening the door for a different style of quarterback? It's not a real big door because not many people can run like Lamar Jackson. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can find guys that run a four-three-five that can play, uh, you know, quarterback well enough in the National Football League, that doesn't take long to call that role, you know. I mean, he is so unique. The dude, in my mind, is a running back because he can make you miss in a short space and he can run away from you who can throw a little bit. It's not a quarterback, you know, that can throw real well, that can run a little bit. He's the reverse of the norm, and, and that guy is so rare. And the thing about him is, is you know, people are like, you know, do you think it'll last? I mean, how, how long can he, can he go? Because of his elusiveness, he doesn't take flush hits. You know, he, make, he makes some glancing blows, and he's smart enough. He'll go to the ground. He'll go out of bounds. He doesn't lower his shoulder and try to run people over. He will run between the tackles, but he's clever enough to make it, you know, instead of just a direct hit right down the middle. I mentioned this a few times. It reminds me of James Brooks when I talked to him. You know, everybody's like, JB, everybody's like, how long are you going to last running the way you run the football? He said, because, man, I, I, I make it a glancing blow. If they take a direct hit at me, it's all on me. It's my bad. God bless me with these abilities to make them glancing blows, and I'm going to make every one of them I can a glancing blow. And, um, you know, Frank Gore, as, as, even with his running style, he has a way of right at the very end just moving a little bit where it's not a direct smoke hit. It's, it's more of a glancing blow. That's why he's lasted as long as he has. Plus, there's a lot of luck involved. The Bengals face the most blitz-happy defensive coordinator in the NFL on Sunday in Baltimore's Don Wink Martindale, a former UC assistant coach back in the Rick Minter days. What is the formula for success for rookie quarterback Ryan Finley in his debut against that defense? Boy, you know, dial up the blitz beaters, you know. I mean, because Wink Martindale is going to bring it. He's going to bring one more than you can block. I mean, he's brought it a little over 50% of the time on the season, he blitzed the heck out of Brady. So if he blitzed the heck out of Brady, what is he going to do to a rookie with his first NFL start? Gosh, it might be, you know, 65% of the time. And a lot of times he just has only two defensive linemen in a two-point stance. Everybody is up in a three-point stance. Excuse me. Everybody else is in a two-point stance milling around. And he'll have seven, eight, nine, ten, even 11 guys at the line of scrimmage and trying to identify who's coming and who's not. And, you know, they, they wait at the very last second until you call your final protection, and then they try to bring one more than you can block on the opposite side. It's, it's very, very difficult. So communication is going to be real big when um, he changes protections, which he's going to have to do. 
and Trey Hopkins is going to call it protection. He's going to have to change it. Going to be have to be able to communicate that, and his receivers are going to have to be on the same page as him with side adjust blitz beaters with routes, and that's what uh, AJ Green and Andy Dalton did so well Thursday night a year ago when um, they made Don Wink Martindale blink and he stopped blitzing for about 30, 35 plays. They were killing him on side adjust slants and quick slants and and just blitz beaters and and beat him to death. Last thing. You lost a friend and a former teammate this week with the passing of former Pro Bowl linebacker Jim LeClaire. When the Bengals named their top 50 retired players a couple of years ago, in their 50th season, he checked in at number 33. Jim went back to North Dakota. After his playing days, he became a mayor. What do you remember most vividly about Jim LeClaire? We were just talking about Thump. That's what I remember about Jim LeClaire. Ooh, Thump. I had my first, quote, episode, you know, was it a concussion? I don't know if it was a concussion, but I know I saw a big flash of lights, <laughs> and I couldn't walk a straight line. And I remember, and that was my very first practice at training camp. I was working with Stan Walters, the SS Walters, Stanley Steamer, out of Syracuse. I was playing guard. He was playing tackle. We were running a little live drill um, against defensive linemen and linebackers, like a nine-on-seven type thing. And I came off a double team on the down lineman, and I tried to kind of like check and peekaboo a little bit where Jim LeClaire was. <laughs> that dude had the the most fierce forearm I've ever felt, man. He hit me square right in the forehead and shortened my neck. And I was, mm, I was buzzing. Long-distance phone call, nobody on the other end, man. And uh, I come walking back to the, staggering back to the huddle a little bit, and Stan looks at me and goes, uh, hey, one thing i got to tell you, Rook. He says, uh, that guy 55, Jacques Leclerc, don't be uh, peeking for him. you got to bring it. You can't come off that double team unless you bring it. I said, I, already, I just figured that out. That dude would hit you. And uh, I remember the big thing is uh, they had Victor the wrestling bear that traveled around to all the cities. And Jim LeClaire was a heavyweight wrestling champ. And Jim LeClaire wrestled Victor and was shooting his leg, you know, I mean, taking him down. <laughs> I mean, it was an unbelievable performance. And, and the, uh, the handler, Victor, called it off because Victor was undefeated. And he, he was a little worried about LeClaire mm. pinning Victor. <laughs> he got Victor down on his back and uh, – Victor had this big, long tongue. They muzzled him, and they declawed him. But his tongue came out of there and wrapped around Jimmy's head. And I was like, oh. So I said, what was the worst part of Victor? He goes, man, that tongue stunk. That tongue stunk like a garbage truck, man. He goes, I couldn't get that thing off my head. But I'm telling you, man, Jimmy, Jimmy LeClaire would, uh, he, he would hit you in the running game. And I played with him with the Generals, too. We both went to the Generals. And Walt Michaels you know, named him captain of his defense. He was captain here. He was definitely a leader of men. Big, broad coat hanger shoulders, man, and just a, a physical, physical football player who, uh, you know, brought it every single snap. And he and his wife, Betty, were pretty good friends of Lynn and, I, our, of Lynn and mine, and uh, we're, both, uh, we're both grieving that one because I remember Betty telling, uh, telling us that this was a while back that she kept having to reintroduce herself to Jim, which, you know, it's heartbreaking when um, somebody you've been with your whole life, uh, you're, you know, the partner doesn't recognize you anymore. That has to be a tough thing to deal with. So I hope Jim's in a better place now. I know he is. And uh, he's probably organizing a game of nine on seven up there as we speak. Fourth round draft pick Ryan Finley will make his first NFL start at quarterback this Sunday. And here's hoping he is as impressive as he was in the preseason. In the opener at Kansas City, Finley completed his first 10 passes. The following week at Washington, he completed his first nine. Overall, in three preseason games, 
Ryan completed 73% of his throws with three touchdown passes, one INT, and a passer rating of 99.3. Alex Erickson was on the receiving end of several of those preseason throws, and I spoke to the Bengals wide receiver this week. We are in the locker room with Bengals wide receiver Alex Erickson. How did you spend your bye weekend? Well, I went back to uh, sunny Wisconsin and hung out with the family and spent some time just just being a dad and being a husband. I assume you're refreshed more physically or mentally? I'd say both. I'm pretty equal. You know, I, I think the mental side is just as important as the physical side. You know, being able to refresh and get away from it and uh, come back, just refocused and um, finish the season in the way we want to. We're visiting with Alex Erickson. So you're back at it this week with Ryan Finley getting set to make his first NFL start at quarterback. What stood out to you when he played in the preseason? Yeah, Ryan's a competitor. Um, he's just got something about him that, you know, he makes plays when it doesn't look like there's going to be a play there. He's got good pocket presence, and um, he throws a good ball. So we're excited for it. Um, you know, he's preparing hard. And, uh, this is our, you know, this is our first week with really – a uh, new quarterback in a long time, so it's a lot of it's different, and um, we just got to do our part to help him out uh, with communicating and being in the right spots and just making sure he feels comfortable with us as receivers. He's 24. He was in college for six years. Do you think that makes a difference? Yeah, I think so. Another year um, to mature and figure figure yourself out, and um, so yeah, I, th- I think that definitely definitely makes a difference. We don't know at this point if A.J. Green will be back, but it certainly looks promising. For the other wide receivers, describe what it means when he's out there. You know, it's huge. He's our leader. He's our captain. Uh, he's a guy we've all leaned on since the first day we got here and a guy that we've all watched and admired. And um, really just so when he's out there, it's just, you know, it's exciting. It's another, obviously, Hall of Fame receiver out there, you know, so it's not like you're – uh, just getting a guy back, you know, you're getting you're getting the guy and a guy that's had a lot of success in this league over a long time, and um, so yeah, it's, I think it's he's a vital part of this team, and when he's out there, it definitely makes a difference. The record obviously isn't good. He's coming back from an injury. It's a contract year. Mm-hmm. I can imagine some wide receivers around the NFL or players in general that would shut it down. He has no intention of doing that. What does that mean to the other guys on the team? It means everything. It means he's here to fight with us through the, through the tough times and um, through the uncertain times and knowing that uh, he's putting all his his own agenda stuff away and uh, just being a great teammate and um, – that's just the way he is, the type of guy he is. He, he hates missing time. He hates missing practice. He hates missing one rep, you know, and you can tell by the way he practices. He'll be flying around. He'll be uh, running more than anybody. And so uh, we know what type of guy he is, and it just kills him not to be out there. So um, I'm not surprised that he wants to be out there and help us, help us get our first win. A few more questions for Alex Erickson. You faced the Ravens. You played them three games ago. This team blitzes as much as any team in the NFL. Does that impact your route running do you have to be more aware of a a hot route or things like that you know I think it's just like you said just being aware of the positions they're in the leverages they're in and um, you know IDing that you know when they're bringing the zero pressures that they're obviously going to have one more than we can block so you know the ball is going to come out quicker and got to be ready for a 50-50 play sometimes and uh, yeah I I think as you know throughout the game you just you, you get a feel for what they're trying to do and uh, we know their aggressive defense, so we'll be aware of it and, and be ready to, you know, make them pay when we catch them in a blitz. 
The defense has to contend with Lamar Jackson, who is likely to shatter the NFL record for rushing yards by a quarterback this year. He's on a pace for nearly 1,300. I was trying to think of how the defense could possibly prepare for the Lamar Jackson threat, and then it hit me. Alex Erickson, <laughs> great running quarterback in high school. Yeah. Do you think the coaches would ever consider having you do some of Lamar Jackson's stuff at practice? Can you do that when you're working on what you need to work on? Yeah, it's tough, obviously, the, the amount of reps and the volume you get in practice. So, you know, it's it's uh, probably not likely. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely, he's definitely a guy that is unique to prepare for and his ability to run the football and his ability to make plays with the ball in his hands and, um, he's a unique talent, and um, you know there's not been a ton of guys like him throughout the years of the NFL, and um, he's definitely put on a show. Last thing, Ravens quarterback Sam Cook claims to have 13 versions of punts, a hook, a slice, a knuckler, yeah. a high one, line drive, yeah. whatever. Are his punts more difficult to catch than other guys? Well, he's got a variation of punts, and he hides – he hides his direction of where he's punting it by doing different variations. Um, so it's it's always he's always hard to read. Um, you can't just go back there and oh he's punting left, just line up left and be ready to catch it. You know, it, you know, like you said, it might come end over end, it might come a liner, he might hang it up, he might. Um, yeah, so he definitely has. You know, he's one of the guys that um, has been doing this a long time. A guy that's really I probably changed a lot of punting in the NFL the way guys are doing a whole bunch of different things with the ball now and his control in the plus 50 short punts and his ability to pin us back there so yeah he's definitely a unique talent uh, it's always a challenge preparing for him and uh, you know game day you never know what you're gonna get do you know he was Zach Taylor's college teammate he's that old <laughs> I, I think I remember reading that last when we played him a few weeks ago uh, yeah it's, that's pretty crazy appreciate your time best of luck this week thank you now time for this week's Know the Foe interview as we do a deep dive into the Bengals' upcoming opponent. The storyline in Baltimore is that this might be the biggest trap game in NFL history since the Ravens are coming off a win over the 8-0 Patriots before facing the 0-8 Bengals. Baltimore is favored by 10 and the Ravens have never lost when favored by double digits. They're 33-0. Luke Jones covers the Baltimore Ravens and joined Lap and Wayne Box Miller on the Bengals Game Plan Show. The first topic of conversation, the possibility of Baltimore taking the Bengals lightly. Yeah, I mean, they said all the right things this week. I, I know Ravens cornerback Jimmy Smith, who's one of the elder statesmen on this team, basically said, look, we just, we're coming off two really good wins, but if we go and lay an egg on Sunday, what does it really mean? Right. And I, I think... Recent history, you guys know very well, save for uh, a couple years ago, that season opener in Cincinnati, the Ravens haven't won there uh, very often. I mean, it's been uh, quite a while where, where the Bengals have really taken care of business at home against the Ravens. Uh, and I think the thing that helps them is also just a few weeks ago, even though you look at the stat sheet from a, a yardage standpoint and look at the numbers, it was pretty uh, you know, heavy in favor of the Ravens, but was a six-point game and certainly that, right. that opening kickoff return for the touchdown you'd like to think from the Ravens perspective that the Bengals coming in and playing the Ravens tough or on the scoreboard anyway that should be a big enough reminder but you guys know this is a crazy league uh, and Cincinnati despite its record uh, you guys have been in a lot of close games so I think a John Harbaugh team uh, you know a well-coached football team like John Harbaugh has year in and year out 
the, the message is going gonna, is gonna to be hit home many times over the course of this week, not to be taken anyone lightly because you know this league can turn very quickly. Yeah. To your point on, on the yards, Luke, 497 yards for the Ravens, 250. That, that's the season low for the Ravens defense, holding an offense to 250 yards. The time of possession, 39 minutes and 42 seconds to 20 minutes and 18 seconds. They basically doubled them up in yards and doubled them up in time of possession. I mean, uh, it, it, it is basically doubled them up in yards and doubled them up in time of possession. I mean, uh, it, it, it is remarkable. The reason it was a one-score game is because of the unconventional score, the kickoff return. It really was. And the other thing I'll point out in that game, which I think you know, Bengals fans can maybe take a little bit of optimism with, is if you recall in that game, they did a nice job against Mark Ingram and the Ravens between the tackles running game for the first three quarters. It wasn't until that final quarter where the Ravens just kind of do what they did. They had, a, I believe, a nine-minute drive in that fourth quarter, right. uh, ended in a Justin Tucker field goal. But uh, as I say week in and week out with this Ravens offense, whatever you try to do, whether you try to take away the between-the-tackle stuff, whether you try to take Lamar, Lamar Jackson away on the edge, although people can try to do that, and I haven't seen too many teams be successful there, or if you just try to load up the box and make Lamar a throw, there's a hidden cost to any uh, possible way you try to uh, defend this offense. So as much as the Bengals did well between the tackles through the first three quarters, uh, of course you see what Lamar Jackson did getting to the edge, and that's what just makes this offense so difficult to defend. But uh, I'll say this, and this was a talking point uh, with John Harbaugh today, the Bengals have seen Lamar Jackson a couple times now, and I think that's kind of the great question around the league in the big picture as you see him in this offense more and more. I equate it to baseball where you have that 100-mile-per-hour pitcher who also has a nasty slider. First couple times to get up to the plate, you're not going to have a chance. Maybe uh, a couple more times through the order, maybe you get a little better idea, but uh, I think that's going to be a tall challenge for the Bengals. Well, let's hope he doesn't approach it like Cole from the Astros did on that run he had this year yeah. in baseball. Um, what about the, the Baltimore faithful? Do they believe in Lamar Jackson now? Obviously, there was a mixed emotion when he was drafted, and then last year, well, he had some good games. It was just an aberration. Now he's playing at an MVP level for the most part. He had a couple of bad games against Cleveland and Pittsburgh, but the total body of work this year has been impressive. Do people really think now that he can deliver the goods at that position? I really think think you're seeing more and more and more believers every single week. I think there's still concern about his style of play as far as sustainability and more so probably from a health standpoint, although, as you guys know, we've seen so many quarterbacks get injured from the pocket. I, I think it's just the ball's in your hands. There's a risk to be injured on any single play. I mean, we just know that right. about this game. But I think in terms of what he's doing, uh, I think the intangibles, uh, I think the fact that one of the big knocks on him last year was his ball security. He had at least one fumble in every single start this year. He, he's been credited with four fumbles, but a couple of those were actually bad snaps. You know, the quarterback just got credit uh, for the fumble. He has not lost a fumble. He's only thrown five interceptions. So he's making plays while also valuing the football in terms of ball security. And, and that's really rare for, for young quarterbacks. Even Baker Mayfield last year, uh, he was the toast of the league as a rookie quarterback. He still threw a lot of interceptions. So uh, I think people are believing more and more. And I'll just say this from an intangible standpoint, from an energy standpoint, this is as energetic and excited 
uh, as this fan base has been since the days of Ray Lewis uh, and, and Ed Reed. I mean, no disrespect to Joe Flacco or, or some other veterans who've moved on in recent years, but just the, the spark and the face of the franchise that Lamar is rapidly becoming, I just haven't seen that really with the Ravens with any offensive player they've ever had. I mean, this has been a defense first town, uh, and it just he's just got that vibe to him that reminds you a little bit, not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but reminds you a little bit of the way Ray Lewis and Ed Reed could galvanize the city way back when. Luke, I agree with you that I think I think when you look at Jackson, there was a running back the Bengals had years ago, James Brooks, undersized running back. But he would make people miss in space and then, you know, run away from him. He had that short space quickness. Jackson, even if you have him contained, he'll make you miss. And, and I said to James Brooks, I said, you know, your size, JB, everybody's saying, man, you're going to get destroyed. You're not going to be able to last. It's not a sustainable thing. He goes, look. The good Lord blessed me with this physical talent. If I take a flush hit, that's on me. And he would make every blow a glancing blow. He never got drilled. He never got hit right down the middle. And, you know, it would always be like a partial shot. And that's what this kid can do. And then he'll slide. He'll get out of bounds. He's smart. I agree with you. I think his biggest danger, like any quarterback, you know, uh, look what happened to Jacoby Brissett, you know, in the pocket. Get stepped on and, you know, get knee injuries, ankle injuries, all that kind of thing. I think if he gets caught in a pile in the running game or he gets caught in a pile, you know, in the pocket, but that's that's the same for any quarterback. I, I think the sustainability thing, he, he's so athletic, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a, a big, big part of the problem. I really don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm believing that more and more. The more I watch him play, I, and I've watched every single start, every single play going back to last November, the number of hard hits he's taken where you're holding your breath you could probably count on a couple hands. I mean, there have been right. a few. Uh, in right. fact, that Cincinnati game a few weeks ago, I thought a couple of those hits were some of the bigger hits he's taken all year. But the difference this year, he's sliding a little bit more. He's definitely showing more of a willingness to go out of bounds. Last year, there were times where he would lower his shoulder like Jim Brown. It's just like, that's not what we want, uh, right. <laughs> unless you're playing in January. <laughs> right. uh, but I, I think he just has that ability, and he just he has this – I don't know. His agility almost reminds you of a great point guard in basketball where he just he can find the little seam, and he's really slippery in addition to just being fast. And, uh, I mean, I guess you know, the critics could say it only takes one hit, and, and that's true, but I don't know. You think about it in terms of would you rather a quarterback standing in the pocket uh, like a statue and someone crashes into his knee like happened to Joe Flacco four years ago and tore his ACL, or you have this guy who's so quick, so tough to catch him, he's so agile, can change a direction where he can kind of dictate what kind of contact he's going to take. And to this point, it's worked out really well for him. You know, I want to switch to defense before we let you go and talk about uh, one guy I think has just uh, really served you guys well as a first-round pick is uh, Humphrey, the defensive back. He just seems to be a playmaker. Uh, obviously, Ed Reed is the ultimate playmaker, but... I mean, this guy holds his own at the uh, defensive back position and uh, just continues to play well. He, he, Marlon Humphrey has played extremely well. I mean, if he's not in the Pro Bowl this year, and I, I think by merit he probably could have made it last year but wasn't a household name around the league. But I think with some of the big splash plays you've seen him make uh, this year, uh, that's changing. But I think what's been impressive with him is the Ravens lost Tavon Young, their slot cornerback, in August to, to a neck issue that required hurt. They lost him for the year. They have Jimmy Smith back from injury. Marcus Peters, who they picked up two weeks before the trade deadline, is their other outside corner. 
Humphrey's actually been playing in the slot, which he had been an outside guy. Right, and a, right. a, big part, a big part of that had, has been him traveling with uh, some of these uh, number one receivers, which, as you guys know, number one receivers play in the slot more and more, it, it seems, uh, in recent years. But uh, he's really kind of become their inside corner. Uh, I mean, he starts and he's on the outside if they're in base, which is very rare. But in that nickel and dime and quarter defense, he's kind of been playing that slot and he is just a playmaker, and not just as a coverage guy, but he, he plays the run really well, too. He's kind of like a you – know, he's almost like a hybrid safety linebacker corner, and, and he's definitely been their best defensive player. You know, I, I really respect what they did, they've done offensively. You know, they, they had Greg Roman, who's worked with Kaepernick and Tyrod Taylor, you know, to institute an offense for Lamar Jackson to take advantage of. I mean, they supported him not only with personnel, but with a coach that knew – how to utilize this kid's talents and not try to put a square peg in a round hole. And then defensively, what they've done, they got Brandon Carnow, an, another defensive back, who they moved from corner to safety. They have him locking down tight ends in their sub packages. They Now they just, they'll blitz you like crazy. I mean, when they played the Bengals the first time, they rushed five or more 75% of the time. On the season, they're in the high 40s. They'll rush five or more in like 46 to 48%. Against the Bengals, it was 75%. And, and then they'll play man. They'll lock you down in man coverage with that blitz. It used to be they had Suggs and these pass rushers. They'd rush for and play coverage on the back end. Now it's just the opposite. Now, I mean, Martindale's just blitzing his tail off for pressuring because he knows he has these guys in the back end that can lock down in coverage. Yeah, it really allows them to dictate to the offense what they want to do because really their two weaknesses, and you just mentioned one, whenever it's a four-man rush, they don't get home. And it's difficult right. to get home right. in this day and age because quarterbacks just get the ball out so quick. Andy Dalton did that for years against them. Uh, so their four-man rush isn't what you'd like it to be. You don't have that Suggs. You don't have Zadarius Smith like they did last year. Right. Uh, and their other weakness, which they've certainly improved because they brought in Josh Bynes and L.J. Ford, you know, someone very familiar to the AFC North, uh, and those guys have stabilized things at inside linebacker, but they're not great coverage linebackers. So you just mentioned it with Brandon Carr. They put him in at safety. Chuck Clark, who's their strong safety, they dropped down to play the mic. And they, they've played pl- plenty of plays over the last few weeks where they don't have a single traditional linebacker. With having Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce up front, they've, they've been fine in the run game when they do that. So they're just they're multiple. They're very different. And the weaknesses that they do have, they seem to scheme as well as you can to uh, m- maybe not eliminate those weaknesses, but certainly alleviate them. I think as an organization, Ozzie Newsom and Nav DaCosta and, and, and Harbaugh, they, they, they basically make their schemes fit their personnel, not the other way around. You know, it's like you can't, you can't just say, look, I'm going to take this guy and I'm going to make him do this, even if it doesn't fit his talents. That's crazy. They always will adjust and shift like the great uh, Bum Phillips said about Don Shula. He could take his in and beat urine. He could take urine and beat his in because he would ad- adjust and adapt. I mean, when he had Zonk and Kick, you know, formation, you with big people, run the heck out of it. Dan Marino, spread you out, throw the heck out of it. I mean, you have to be ad- adaptable and adjust to things. And the Ravens organization, offensively and defensively, has done it as well as anybody. Yeah, they really have. And I think with John Harbaugh specifically, as much as what was the big criticism about him when he was hired? Well, he wasn't an offensive or defensive coordinator. Well, right. that, doesn't that lend itself to being more flexible? I mean, he doesn't have, and he even talked about this recently, talked about this after they drafted Lamar Jackson. 
he didn't have an offense that he was married to. And, right, yeah, they right. ran the West Coast offense for uh, a number of years here, you know, from the time Gary Kubiak came in, and that was Flacco's best regular season performance in 2014. But he just kind of said, look, we can try to find the next Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, or here's this kid who has some really special traits, and we love him as an athlete, we love him as a person, we think he's a winner, he's been successful at the collegiate level. Let's design something new. Let's do something different and yep. play into his strengths. And, hey, there's still a long way to go, and, and time will tell whether Lamar Jackson leads the Ravens to a Super Bowl. But being an MVP candidate in his first full year as a starter, uh, uh, there's certainly a lot, lot of growing confidence that he'll be able to do that. Maybe not this year, but at some point here uh, in the near future. Thanks to Luke Jones. And here's a quick reminder that if you listen to this podcast before Friday afternoon, We invite you to join us for the Bengals Pep Rally Show at Buffalo Wings and Rings, the Beachmont location. This week's show is from 2.30 to 5.30. That's a half hour earlier than usual. And our special guest in the final hour will be Bengals offensive lineman John Jerry. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or share a comment. Those five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.